The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Happy May Day. I told somebody in the lobby a little bit earlier, we were talking about this season. My favorite time of year is May 1st through, you know, mid-September when we get the nice weather and the sun's out longer and it's a little drier. So looking forward to that. But uh, we're in a series called I Promise. Today is part three. And if you got a Bible with you, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter three. So I always encourage you to bring a Bible. I know there's Bible apps and you can open your phone, open the app and, and check it out as well. Um, but one of the things I mentioned is just getting familiar with where things are at in the Bible. So 2 Peter 3 is where we're going to land. Uh, so uh, imagine living in a rough home environment. And as a mom, you're trying to provide for multiple kids, but also enduring abuse from your husband. Uh, you work multiple jobs. Uh, you choose not to eat so there's enough food for your kids. Um, and you take a second job. You already have one job. You take a second job out of school so that your schedule can accommodate you being able to be part of your kids' sporting events. Um, imagine having your power and water turned off randomly because it's hard to make ends meet. And then you've had to move multiple times again because finances aren't as plentiful as maybe they need to be. And then one of your kids uh, is determined to help. And so it turns out they're gifted at sports. The individual, this kid excels in football and in fact um, goes to college, does really well and ends up being drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. He gets a rookie deal worth $12.6 million with a $6.5 million signing bonus. What's the first thing he does? He buys his mom a house. This is the story, and I know the draft was this weekend, but this is a story of last year's NFL draft, and it's a story of Rashad Bateman. Um, he was a uh, excuse me, a Wookiee, a rookie. Let me... <laughs> anyway, I don't know. That's so... Totally not... He was not a Wookiee, all right, just to be clear. Um, I'm not sure his bodily hair situation, but I don't think it was that, um, that much. Wow, that was weird. Okay, um, let's start over. Um, I hope you brought your Bibles today. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, that was his, uh, his story last year, Rashad Bateman. And the first thing he did with the money he got was buy his mom a house. He's a Baltimore Raven, uh, a rookie wide receiver. That's a tongue twister. So, but um, we, we hear a story like that. And the truth is we love it. And, and we, we resonate with it. And what we do internally is we kind of go, he did the right thing. That's an awesome thing. He did the right thing. Um, and I love, again, that story. But for those of us that are followers of Jesus, um, he did the right thing when you think through the lens of faith, when you think through the grace, when you think through the generosity and, of course, the love that's there for his mom, through the lens of our faith, he absolutely did the right thing. But what I love, again, is that's a reflection of the heart of God, too. And we need to remember that because Jesus says this in John 14. We'll get to 2 Peter 3 here in a few moments. But in John 14, Jesus said this to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It says, um, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going away to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will also come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Fast forward a few verses and he says this, because I live, you will live also. 
Jesus says he was going to prepare a place. Jesus said to his disciples, in fact, the setup for the conversation of preparing a place was, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he talks about that he's coming back. I love it. It's almost, you know, he says, I'll be back. Almost like going back to anybody, Terminator. Remember that, you know, the, the famous words of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. Who wasn't a Wookiee either? But, um, uh, but he, you know, he says, I'll be back. Which by the way, I know this is a little bonus content here, but when I was studying this message, I looked up the I'll be back to understand the context of Terminator because it's been years since I've seen it. And, and he says that phrase in like eight different movies. And so I didn't know that. Maybe you knew that. Good job, bonus content. Let's get back to, to the Bible stuff. Uh, anyway, um, so Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place. I will be back for you. And that's reiterated when Luke writes in what we call the book of Acts, Luke writes about Jesus saying to the disciples after he had been crucified, buried, he rose from the dead, appeared to the disciples, taught them, and then he ascends into heaven. This is Acts chapter one. But it says that the disciples were looking intently up in the sky, like there goes Jesus, that was pretty cool. And it says that an angel appeared and said this, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Now listen to this, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. If you've been in Christ for a length of time and you've learned about certain things that the writers of scripture had to say, we call this the second coming. Jesus says, I'm coming back. The angel said he will be back in the same way he left. He's going to return. And Paul says it this way to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now look at verse 15. It's a pretty big deal. According to the Lord's word, remember we're in a series called I Promise. When, when, when something is said and it's quoted like in red letters, Jesus said this in particular, but from the Lord's own word, it means I promise. The word promise there means it will happen. It will be fulfilled because God fulfills those things he makes as promises. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until, and here's the phrase, until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. So here's this idea again, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What happened was over and over in the, the first century of, of church world and the leadership was talking about what Jesus would do. The conversation had everything to do with people that had said, Jesus already came back, you missed it, or he's not coming back. And so Paul reminds them, you didn't miss it. It hasn't happened yet. There were false teachers that are lying to you. Here's the truth. And so he paints the picture so that the church is not duped into believing something that isn't true. And what he says again in verse 15 is, he talks about this coming of the Lord in verse 16. He mentions how it's going to happen. And it's amazing picture, this idea of the second coming of Jesus. 
So now we finally get to this text in 2 Peter 1. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand this, that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water, by these waters also, the world um, of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment of the ungodly, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? He says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. God, today, it's a big conversation. Today, it's an important topic. And it's one that sometimes in our minds becomes overlooked or it's on the shelf or we're not really aware of it. We hear about it. We maybe take on a reading plan and we peruse through some of the pages that I've even read here today. But God, I pray for us to understand why this is so valuable, why it's such a big deal and why this conversation matters to the lives that we live today. God, thank you for the work of your spirit. We surrender and invite you to help us understand why it's a big deal in Jesus name. Amen. So here's Peter. And remember, Peter is a Jew and he's writing in particular to Jews. He's writing to that audience because that's kind of who he's connected to and who he cares deeply about. And when he's writing, he's writing to diffuse false teaching. He's writing to diffuse some of the things that were being said that weren't true. And in chapter three, he tackles this conversation and it's a big one. But the question I have for you is this, and it's a rhetorical one. I don't need you to say anything back, but why would Jesus promise his return? Why is the second coming such a big deal? Like I said, even as I was praying, it's easy for you and I to sort of put it on the shelf in our minds and go, it's something, I don't quite get it, it's there, it is what it is, but we'll just kind of leave it there and I'm just gonna live out my days and whatever sort of happens, happens, but there's more to it than that. And let me start with, and this is just a basic list, it's not an all-encompassing list, there's probably other facets that I won't tackle here today, but let me start with this. The first reason it's a big deal is comfort. That for you and I, when we look at all that goes on in our world and things seem so spun out of control and there can be such an anxiety, part of us understanding why this second coming is a big conversation is because it's a comfort piece. 
It's saying in the end, God wins. In the end, all things will be made right. And we'll talk about number two here in a second, which I'm alluding to when I say that. But the first thing is it's comfort. Um, when I first gave my life to Christ, it's been 30 years ago now, um, in 1992, um, I bought some cassette tapes because that's what you bought back then, unless you were cool enough to afford a CD player, right? So, and the first cassette tapes I bought as a believer in Jesus was a guy named Keith Green. Anybody remember Keith Green at all? Yeah, and I still listen to Keith Green. In fact, when I'm out mowing, I'll throw in my AirPods and, and listen to Keith Green while I'm out mowing. But um, one of the songs from the ministry years, it was a double album, so you got two cassettes. Um, cassettes have this little wheel in the middle. And so what? But um, Google it. But um, I remember listening to one of the songs and one of the things Keith Green says as he wrote this song about heaven is um, he talks about, you know, if this world took six days and that home took 2000 years, then, hey, this is like living in a garbage can compared to what's going up there. And the idea that Keith Green alludes to and the picture that, that Peter gives us, or excuse me, of Jesus gives us in John 14 of, let's help James out there. You okay, buddy? Okay, you can help him out. Um, they, the, the picture that, that Jesus alludes to is this, do not let your hearts be troubled. And, and that's a big deal because again, in the world where there can be such an anxiety, where there can be such a fear, where there can be such a sense of things spinning out of control, God's got this. And that's meant to be a comfort for you and for me. The second thing is this, justice that in the end, all things will be made right. That in the end, and, 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 and I want you to understand that, that you and I can look at this world and go, why in the world is it that wickedness seems to prosper? Why is it that those that are given to evil end up receiving all kinds of benefits? Why is it that those that wanna live righteously seem to suffer more than maybe they should? And part of it, to be honest, is our perspective. And by the way, when we get to some more promises here in the coming weeks, We'll talk about that. But the first part is this, eventually everything will be made right. Eventually justice will reign. Anybody ever read the Psalms? Anybody ever read the book of Job in scripture? If you're reading the reading plan we're reading, we've been plowing through Job for a little bit now. And what you see in there is the question that comes up over and over, why is there so much injustice? Why is it that wickedness seems to reign? Why do all these things happen? And if there's a God that cares, why is this going on? And it's not that the Bible doesn't address those things, but part of understanding an answer is this, eventually it will all be made right. Peter says, above all, you must understand this. In the last days, scoffers will come. If you've been in the faith for any length of time, you've maybe had a conversation with somebody who said like, really, you're one of those people? Like really, you believe that somehow like Jesus is eventually gonna come back? You really believe that? And obviously as a follower of Christ, I would say, absolutely, it's a promise. But we look at it and go, well, yeah, but in the first century, you have to understand the original disciples, the apostles even thought that Jesus would return in their lifetime. And, and if you study church history, century after century after century, people would say Jesus is coming back. There are people that decided I'm not gonna invest in retirement plans because Jesus will come back before I get old. And they missed it. 
How many of you guys remember a few years ago, there was some prominent Christian leader that decided Jesus was coming back on October 21st, 2014. Anybody remember that? It's like you hear news and somehow different outlets pick it up and it becomes a story. And, and some of us who understand scripture are shaking our heads going, that's heresy. It's not true. Nobody knows the day or the hour. I mean, if, if you just decided every day, Jesus is coming back tomorrow and you said it every day, eventually you'll be right. It's like that phrase, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, or like a broken clock is right twice a day. Eventually, if you say it every day, someday you're eventually going to be right. But people have said for years, Jesus is, you know, coming back on this time or this day. Don't believe it. On, on, on top of that, if you've been Christian from the 80s, there was somebody who wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Return in 1988. You guys, we missed it. Well, what do we do now? It's way past 1988. Over and over, people try to do that. And, and it's, it's understanding like that's not how it works. Justice will eventually be served. But the truth is, when you look at scripture, even Jesus says it, that the, the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. If we knew when a thief was coming, we would do something about it. But his point and Peter's point and Paul writes about it is this idea that it's going to be like a thief. At the end of the day, justice absolutely will be served and, and, and the mocking and the marginalization of, of faith or Christians will be taken care of. But in the meantime, we have to navigate a world where injustice does reign and things happen that aren't right. And there's sorrow and suffering that we don't always understand. All I know is that when there's sorrow and suffering, we're called to action, to love, to make a difference, to do what we're called to do through the work of Christ in our hearts and the conviction that we carry. Number one, comfort. Number two, justice. But number three, it's the consummation of history. Why does the second coming matter? Because it's the consummation of history. What does that mean? It, it's, it's a big word that means this. We believe as followers of Christ that when you look at the idea of time, it's linear. That there was a beginning, there's a middle. And for those of us that believe in Jesus, the middle would be the point of crucifixion, death, burial, the resurrection of Christ. But it says there's going to be an end. There's going to be an end. And that's Peter's point here. The end is coming. In fact, John, who was a disciple, also wrote about it. It's the last book in what we call the Bible. It's the last book and, and, it's, and it's John's best verbiage on what eternity looks like. And he talks about, and maybe you've heard this before, streets of gold and a sea as clear as crystal and gates of pearl and such beauty that he has a hard time putting human words to what's going on. He has a hard time verbalizing what he's seeing. And so he talks about emeralds and lapis lazuli, all these different gems that are valuable, that are, that are plentiful in heaven because God has provided this, this majesty and beauty that is awaiting us. But that's the consummation of history. There are other religions that are cyclical. There's no beginning, there's no end. There's just this cyclical idea, this reincarnation or the state of nirvana picture where, where life doesn't have a beginning and an end. It just kind of keeps going around and around and around in all its various forms and 
If it's reincarnation, you come back as something else again in another life and that just keeps going on and your souls are billions of years old or millions of years old and there's all kinds of ideas of that. That is not the Christian view. There's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an end coming. It's the consummation of history. But the fourth one, and I wanna hone in on this one for a little bit here intentionally, but what's meant to happen is, is it causes us to live in light of eternity. That for you and I to understand, Jesus says, I am coming back. The angels in Acts 1 say he will be coming back. For Paul to say he will come as a thief. For Peter to remind us he is coming back. It's the day of the Lord. The reason it's so important is because what it does in you and me is should cause attention in us, how do I live in light of eternity? How do I live in light of the fact that the eternal matters far more than the temporal and yet it seems so much like all of our attention is sucked into the temporal? Sucked into what are you doing later today and how's this week gonna play out and I got a mortgage coming up and we have a child to raise and, and you know, a career to have and what does progress look like and I wanna buy this and do that and eventually this and here's my bucket list of stuff. And there's nothing wrong inherently with some of those things, but what happens is we don't live in light of eternity. We live in light of the temporal. And Peter's reminder isn't meant to cause a fear in us, meaning, oh no, I better deal with this eternity thing because it could happen today. And while it could happen today, what happens is it goes like this. If, if you remember growing up in my world, my parents or my mom would leave and she would say, um, hey, honey, I'll be back in a, in a couple of hours. I need you to make sure you do the, do the dishes, clean up your room and maybe vacuum before I get back, okay? Yeah, mom. And what happens? <laughs> right? As a kid, I play the original Nintendo and I hang out with my buddies and we do whatever we do. And then all of a sudden her car pulls back into the driveway and what happens? Oh, oh no. And I go and try to get the dishes and do the clean room and roller skates around the living room, make it look like I vacuumed or something, <laughs> right? Oh no. And, and listen, that's so easy for you and I to fall prey to in a spiritual sense that we sort of go, well, I mean, I've got all the time in the world. And I mean, there's a good chance I'll live to be, you know, 80 or 90 or boy, the way medical stuff's going, maybe I'll live past hundred. I don't know. Some of you guys go, I don't want to live that long. I love how, by the way, yesterday, my wife and I got to go to a birthday party for Fern Yulstad. Some of you guys that have been around for any length of time, she's been part of this church for decades. She turned 100. And so we went to her 100th birthday party yesterday and it was amazing. It was so fun to be able to see her and say hi, but also mingle and chat with a bunch of people in the room that have that kind of history. My point though is this, when Jesus talks about the fact that he's coming, what it's meant to do is help us understand it really could be any time but that's not meant to create this dread and fear in us. What it's meant to do is help us go, how am I stewarding my time right now? That while on one hand, you may live to be 80 or 90 and you go, well, I'm only 30, I got decades left. The point is if Jesus returns at some point and there's parables he talks about for you and I to understand you're a steward of now. You're a steward of the resources you have today. You're a steward of the time you have today, the gifts that you have Today, the money that you have today, we're stewards of that now in light of eternity, not waiting for, for the time when you have it, not waiting for when everything makes sense, not waiting till everything's lined up the way that it needs to be. And now you can do kingdom stuff. 
How are you stewarding what God has entrusted to you in light of eternity? And it's not meant to be put off until tomorrow because Jesus talks about that. Don't wait. Remember, he talks about a guy who prospers and does so well and he builds bigger silos and stores up more grain. Basically, the idea is a bank. He loads up his bank account and he maxes out 100,000 FDIC insured over here, 100,000 investments over here, you know, some other fund off in overseas where he can, doesn't have to pay the tax or whatever he does. builds all that. So it's awesome. And what does Jesus say? He kicks back and he chills and goes, man, I got so much, I'm good. And Jesus in the parable says, but he never knew that that night his life would be demanded of him. What now? The story is that he wasn't a steward of what he had today. Sure, he had enough to live on for decades. But the point was, it's not about thinking so far down the road that you kick back and chill and don't steward what you've been entrusted to now. How does stewardship change in light of eternity? Again, he says in in verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? If I was to put it in my own words, it's this idea, look, if the end is coming, and we don't know when, I'm not saying, oh, here it comes. But if indeed the end could be coming and it could be, how are you and I living? Peter is trying to turn it into, for his audience, the tension of what am I doing with what I've been entrusted? For for me, I've always said this, you and I together as the church are stewards of the Great Commission. Jesus says, we together, we talked about this in our series, Discipleship, a couple of months ago, we together are stewards of the Great Commission. How are you helping people see Jesus? How are you investing your time in people seeing Jesus? How are you investing your money in people seeing Jesus? How are we stewarding the whole of what we've been given that people can see Jesus, can acknowledge his love, the light can shine enough and conversations eventually can be had that they might go, why are you a spiritual person? Why are you a religious person? Why are you one of those Jesus people? And you just have to share your heart. Why did Jesus make sense to you in the moment that you made that turn? Because I realized that on my own, I'm pretty empty. Because I realized on my own, it ain't working. Because I realized I got this and you can fill in the blank with whatever. But man, when I encountered Christ in a real way, I invited him in my world and man, it's amazing to have forgiveness like that. It's amazing to have his grace like that. I'm not perfect, but it's amazing to be able to have this relationship with God that gives me hope every day. That if I face the end today, I'm good. And I'm not saying it today to you as a scare tactic. I'm simply saying in light of the promise that he's coming back at some point. How does it change you and I and the time that we have? You and I and the life that we're living. You and I and the gifts that he's given us. You and I and the money or the resources that we have. Too many people live their lives doing whatever they want. And then as they sense, maybe the end could be coming. But that's not what Jesus intends. His grace is there in those moments. I'll be honest with you, by all means. His grace is there in those moments. He waited till the end, fine. You don't always get that opportunity, by the way. But what he wants of each of us is to understand you might have 10 years left. 
You might have 20 or 30 or 40. You might be a young person in here going, I never even thought about it because I got decades probably. But Jesus says, don't think in light of decades. Think in light of eternity today. And that's the beauty of the promise he's given us. We have comfort. Justice will be taken care of. And I can't answer why all the unjust stuff happens. The writers of scripture talk about that too. It's not like we avoid it. When you read scripture, they talk about it all the time. But I can definitely say as we navigate towards what will be the consummation at some point of history, that it should cause us to consider how we're living our lives. He is faithful. And let me go back to John 14, 1. And what I wanna do is I wanna read, it's, it's called the Amplified, Amplified Version. And what they do in the Amplified Version for the translation from Greek or Hebrew is they help you understand, they'll give you a word, but, but offer a couple of other words to help you wrap your head around what's being said. So in the Amplified Version of John 14, 1, Jesus says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. And in parentheses there, it says, don't, don't live in, in a sense of fear all the time, afraid or cowardly. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not live afraid all the time. Do not live cowardly. Believe, but again, and this is in brackets, with a sense of confidence. Believe confidently in God and trust in him. Specifically, have faith, hold on. Keep going and believe, Jesus says, in me. And that's where he goes on to say, I'm going to prepare a place. In my father's house, there's many rooms and there's a spot for you and there's a spot for me. And that's a whole picture that he paints, but it's a reminder to you and to me that there's something amazing in store. And at some point he's coming back to make everything right. But let's make sure that we're considering how we live in light of that eternity. How we steward the days that we have because you and I are stewards of every bit of it. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Trust in God, Jesus says, trust also in me. Father, today, in a series where we talk about your promises, what I love is that that picture of promise is it's a sure thing when we see that God says it. We see that Jesus declares it. And so Father, in light of this second coming, and I, I don't get all of it, and there's a picture that Paul paints of this trumpet and, and Jesus returning and, and something amazing in that moment. And while I don't understand all of it, I hold on to it as a promise that at some point it's gonna happen. But I pray that instead of living in the dread of it or fear of it or, or whatever that would be that changes, but instead it, it's this, this love that you have to, to, to comfort and encourage us. Things will be made right but also God, you would help us understand that stewardship conversation. That the way that we love those around us and do what you call us to do, that's gonna matter. That people can understand Christ through us in light of eternity. God, thank you for your promises, especially as we look at the second coming, that we're stewards of the life you've come to give us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.